Welcome back to C-Tech Ed Podcast, episode two of season three, Fact versus Fiction. I am Nicole Huff. And I am Sylvia Ellison, and we are fortunate enough to work together at Brandon High School. If you haven't followed along, you'll realize that there's a history here that we enjoy. I am still enjoying this text, and it's just icing to the cake in regards to me enjoying our conversations together. Um, I'm also excited to learn from you, and today we get to learn a new sacred reading practice as we listen to this text. So let's start with the chapter. Yes. Okay. So the chapter is called Facts Are So 2015. Call me old, but I think that's (laughs) funny. And then she says, why this book, why not? And I think it's interesting. So this chapter is really, it's the first chapter. It's after the prelude, which gave us kind of this, it kind of wet our appetites to this idea that fake news is not a new phenomenon. And it's also not necessarily an intentional phenomenon that some things just happen because we're humans. And so I think that um, this chapter is really diving into the difference between what we have decided is fake news back maybe in 2010, mm-hmm. 2015, I guess is and then what it is now. So I think this really brings us to that current level in our journalism history of what this really is going to be about. Sure. And I know a lot of this chapter focuses around post-truth. Do you want to tell everybody a little bit about that? So I'm going to be honest with you. In my notes, I went, I'm not sure I understand this because (laughs) I think it is one of those new words, right? It says so. Right. In the text, she actually starts off with this word and it's an adjective And it's relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. Which tells me that the truth is the truth, Mm -hmm. but we as people are more inclined to believe in emotional connotations, a spin on the truth, Mm -hmm. than we are the actual truth. Now what's interesting about this word is that she said in 2016, the word was of the word of the year. And it was because it increased by over 2,000% in 2015. So when I read this, I thought, I have no idea what she's talking about here. But after reading the rest of the chapter, mm-hmm. I think I understood that we are not, we can be given the truth and we go, okay, that's the truth. But we are not led to any kind of emotional connection to it, or we can be persuaded beyond truth mm-hmm. based on emotions and personal beliefs, which means I think maybe post-truth is kind of t- connected to our biases. Yeah. Um, it reminds me of two things. Uh, the ethos, pathos, and logos that we teach in our writing classes and in English. And I know I've seen a lot of AP teachers teach the different logical fallacies that appeal to emotion with a lot of the mailers that people get for anything and everything. And then I also think this goes to some of our like Instagram and Facebook shares. You know, you can talk about this one comes to mind because I have a friend in the healthcare industry who posts a lot about the the vaccine and anti-vaccine argument. Yeah, that Mm -hmm. debate is quite hefty. And you can see the schedule of vaccines from a doctor and have them tell you why this vaccine, why now, and see the evidence on 
vaccines and and what works and and all of the research behind that and a hundred percent i trust my pediatrician he saved my daughter's life it's a story for another time but i implicitly trust that man and then you see the picture of the kid online the little baby with all of the needles sticking out of it and it says these are the vaccines that your kid will get by age four and it's just a whole bunch of needles all at once and that is the emotional appeal that is post-truth that makes people go i don't care what the doctors say i don't want my kid to have that many needles sticking out of them right and it's interesting because we're on different sides of the spectrum on this one and our debate and our conversation is not about immunizations so please do not simply just what is Um, both true right and yet, and I can say, I'm going to take it even a step further that I can have, if I have any kind of history that with a doctor being, with any doctor being wrong, I can have a, a questionable judgment of a doctor mm-hmm. so that I'm more willing to read other things mm-hmm. that suggest uh, alternative results, right? And so if whatever my, my background is, mm-hmm. my reader response theory is that I can be influenced beyond whatever truth is. And I think truth is also nebulous. That their truth can be something based on faith, mm-hmm. something very abstract. And we so talked last week about right. objective facts, but truth is dependent upon a person. Right. And I think that's what we're going to come down to. In, in fact, she's got two subheadings in this book. Um, she's got nothing you can say will convince me otherwise. Mm-hmm. I think that's telling. And then she uh, has a heading called Where Do Educators Fit in a Post-Truth World? And I think we're going to get to that conversation, excuse me, to that question in every podcast. Because I think that's really the intentionality of us studying this book is what do we as educators do in this quote-unquote post-truth world? Mm -hmm. Where, while truth exists, it has so many influences and because truth cannot stand on its own, everything that we bring to it changes our view of it. So even though the truth could be sitting here right in between us, you and I are looking at it from two different angles. Mm -hmm. And so actually your view is my Mm post-truth and my view is your post-truth. That's another thing that I've seen on Facebook as well, which is very topical for this book. There's a picture. Yeah, she does have a Facebook Mm -hmm. uh, reference. There's a political cartoon of uh, the number that might be a six or might be a nine and there's a person standing on either end of it and one is saying six and the other person is saying nine and they're both pointing at the same thing and the political cartoon says that you need to have a conversation and you need to talk to people and that's one of the tenets as we read further in this book is that you have to talk to people about what you know and what you find in order to help make it balance out and, and make sense But I also then know somebody who said, yes, but the author did write one of those two numbers and only one. Oh. So post-truth, sure, if you're standing on the other side, it looks like something, but that may not be what the author wrote. And then reader response theory says that doesn't matter. Right, (laughs) because what I bring to it is what I interpret. Okay, so I think it's interesting. We've already started off on this idea, but I'm excited because you're teaching me a new sacred reading practice today. So it's called... Pardes? Mm-hmm. Pardes. Okay. Pardes. Okay, good. So tell us about Pardes. Okay, so Pardes is from the Jewish tradition, and it works on several levels, and I find this very interesting, and I'm really excited to try it. It is both an acronym and also a word. So literally in Hebrew, Pardes means orchard. 
And the idea is that if your text is an orchard, then if your text is sacred, anything that you pick, any piece of fruit that you pick from the text will be juicy uh, and worth it. And that no matter what you pick, it's going to bear fruit. The text is an orchard. But the acronym has extra letters that don't fit. Like it's it a, does. It's spelled. So though, for those of you who are learning with me, Pardes is spelled P-A-R-D-E-S. But the vowels are just connecting words. Yes. Right. So our acronym Pardes will be a P word, an R word, a D word, an S word. And once again, I'm new to this, so Nicole's going to have to really mm-hmm. walk us through this. So, and because it's Hebrew... Please excuse me if my pronunciation's off. It is what I've heard in my right. uh, podcast of Divinity Graduates. The spelling and the sound don't necessarily make sense. Right. So the P is for Pshat, uh, spelled P-S-H-A-T, Pshat. Um, and that's the literal meaning. Then we move into Remez. R-E-M-E-Z, which is a hint or an implied meaning. Drash, which is uh, the concept. And then Sod, which is the secret. Now in practice, what we do is pick a quote and then we'll work through this and I'll show you how it works. So our quote comes from page 13. 13, Right, and it's actually, it's in the paragraph that's about TED Talk, the filter bubble. But we're actually choosing the last couple sentences. And it says, at the same time, this increased sophistication also means that we are far less frequently confronted by ideas or viewpoints that don't match our own, making us less and less capable of having a reasonable discussion involving divergent points of view. In the end, whether or not we actively participate in our own insulation from ideas we disagree with, the internet, the excuse me, the internet has evolved to help this process along. So I think it was interesting. This is a very meaty quote in my text. I actually put a comment to the side that said, "And we're the ones that are molding minds." <laughs> so I just thought it was interesting. So let's walk through the sacred reading practice. So with Peshat, mm-hmm. what is the simple meaning? Yeah. So literally, what is going on in the text here? And you gave us some context already that this talks from the TED Talk, The Filter Bubble, about how the internet learns your habits. Uh, And we all joke about that, about how if I talk about wanting to buy shoes, then suddenly out loud while my phone is open, then Amazon suddenly is suggesting it. And Facebook, when I tell somebody I like puppies, suddenly I have lots of suggested posts about puppies. You know, our, our devices listen to us and look at what we click and then filter based on that and suggest things that they think we will click on. But I think it's also interesting that it, it actually creates that insulation because if you mention that you like dogs or puppies, it doesn't give you cat ads no. to see the other side, right? It only talks, it only it only caters to you, so it only gives you what you want. Right. And I think that's what it says here. We are far less frequently cr- confronted by ideas or viewpoints that don't match our own. So that's a great example on yeah. a superficial level of how you are not given things that contradict what you believe in. 
right? So if you believe, if you're a puppy or a dog person, you're not giving cat ads to consider about, well, what about a cat, though? You know, mm-hmm. uh, maybe. It might be easier to take care of if you have to go away for the weekend. Right, like, something like that. Yep. So, the, so, those, so those divergent viewpoints. I was thinking this in my Twitter world. I love to do Twitter chats, and I have had conversations with several people. There's, there's a couple of out there who don't get involved in Twitter chats anymore because they felt like it was just an echo chamber. Mm-hmm. And that idea of, oh, we're just out there to self-promote. Now... On the flip side, I can see where that's a really healthy experience for teachers because I feel like we are such the people who do not Self-promote. toot our own rewards, right? <laughs> that when you get into an environment where you can share the positive things that you're doing, you want to share them, right? And you know that you're going to get squeezed a little bit mm-hmm. in a Validation. positive way, right? Because they're going to like a retweet. Right. Mm-hmm. But I can see where that echo chamber feeling exists where we are not challenging us we're mm-hmm. not challenging our practices because we are not hearing divergent points of view. And in fact, I've been on chats where if somebody throws in a divergent point of view, people might be quick to slam them mm-hmm. when my thinking and my practices, tell me more about what you just said. Tell me more what you mean by that. Because in 180 characters or less, you could be misinterpreted. Sure. But well, you could also be pushing my thinking. And that goes back to the hashtags, too, are, are almost insulating as well because if I am on Twitter looking for a chat I'm searching usually by a hashtag so I'm going to find a group that agrees with me because I'm only looking for one thing and so our hashtags limit what we're finding I'm not just looking at trending I'm looking for the ed chat I'm looking for the uh, Florida chat Ed right. chat. I'm looking for the ed tech chat. I'm looking. So all of the people in there are going to tell me about how technology is awesome Correct. in education. They're not going to offer a different point of view because that's not the hashtag they're in. What I like about my virtual professional learning network is that while we might be like-minded, we also challenge each other's thinking, mm. right? So is that in support of what she literally, and I say she, yep. both, she, she and, and he, uh, what they are saying that is creating this insulation is that what is that that i'm not open to divergent ideas Mm -hmm. or is this just a generic statement that people at large are being insulated by what their own practices are and that's a really interesting point and i think that she's not they are not necessarily giving us an answer because it says in the end, whether or not we actively participate mm. in the insulation, the internet has evolved to help this process along. Right. That actively participate is a good point. The active. Good catch. And that might lead us a little bit into Remez. So Remez is the hint. And this one is where you take a keyword or term, one or two in your quote, and kind of trace how it is used in this text previously, in the future, if you've read ahead, or even in other texts and in the world at large, it's kind of like motif in English. So So I think we looked at two words Mm -hmm. um, that we've already talked about as divergent and insulation. Mm -hmm. Those are kind of complementary words, right? I mean, like divergent is something that goes against me Mm -hmm. or what I'm thinking. And I like how you put your hands um, pointing out and As insulation, right? Exactly. Insulation is where like our hands are together and we put up a barrier. Mm-hmm. 
which so if I've put up a barrier to my point of view, then I am not looking at divergent or different perspective. I'm not accepting those, right? Right. So in what ways do we see divergent in this text? In what ways do we see insulation in this text and then as well in others? In this text, when they talk about divergent viewpoints, it seems that they are saying that we need more divergent viewpoints, that we need to hear from all of these other sources, that just listening from the people who agree with us is not helping us to grow in our mind and our thinking. So when that connect to the title, fact versus fiction, Mm -hmm. those are divergent thoughts. They are. Right? So if, but the less, the more we insulate ourselves, the more we block off hearing other viewpoints, Mm -hmm. maybe the less open or the, I don't think the open's the word. I think the less capable we are of determining fact Mm -hmm. versus fiction. And insulation, you're like, my house is insulated. And so that means that it keeps out the weather better. And if I have insulated clothing or like my thermos is insulated it keeps things hot or cold so it kind of keeps your homeostasis whatever your state is your insulation keeps you right there so whether or not my truth is reality or my truth is fiction if i have myself insulated i will never be able to know so to change my mind right so the divergent mm-hmm. becomes very evident in a person who is unwilling to listen right is a person who is even if they hear you they're not maybe they they're they don't lack they don't oh i love it i hate it when i can't come over they lack the capacity of seeing beyond their own self Mm -hmm. right and so um i see this in in parents Mm -hmm. parents uh when they're parenting start with a major viewpoint and and somebody who's experienced, you know, I have four, four, and three of them are in their twenties. So I've been through all the stages, and I'm still, I'm still getting new stages. By the way, that's fun. But it's interesting that when you get through, and then you get through all that, right? And then you have somebody coming along, someone like yourself who's got a young child. Mm-hmm. And this, I've never seen this evident in you, but I've seen people go, "Oh, that practice isn't going to work," and the parent says. Well, I'm. This is how we're choosing to do things, mm. right? There's been many times when I just, kept, you know, I've, I've said, I've suggest, made suggestions, and then times I've kept my mouth shut. But there's many times when parents come back to me and they say, "You're right," or, "Okay, I need help. How would you do this?" Mm-hmm. Right? It's. I think teaching is the same way. I think there's some teachers who, when you when you offer them feedback, they have insulated themselves mm-hmm. so that well, my way works. I don't need to hear from you. Right. Right. And then there are some who are, I think, more open to that divergent perspective mm-hmm. who are like, this is how I did it. This is what did or did not work. If I tried it another way, what might happen? Right. How would you do it? Mm-hmm. Now, and, and I love the question I follow up with. Well, what other way could you have done it? Mm-hmm. Right. I love teachers who are, whether they're a first or second year teacher or a 29, 30, 35 year veteran teacher mm-hmm. um, I especially I'll, I'll be honest with you I love the first year teachers coming to trainings I think that's awesome I love the first year teachers who are commenting on our podcasts I think that's awesome because wow they're learning and they're and they're starting out now it took me so many years to get to that point and <laughs> wow go them right 
But I think I'm even more impressed when I'm, in a, I'm facilitating a training and a teacher comes in, whether I know them or not, but they've been teaching 30, 32, 35 years. And their response is, I can always learn new things. Blows my mind, right? That's what we all aspire to be. Right. And so are they insulating themselves? No. I think they're opening themselves mm-hmm. up to, to different perspectives, right? Because think about it. 35 years ago, when I was in school, I can say that, you can't. (laughs) Getting close. (laughs) When I was in school, things were taught a lot differently. And so Mm -hmm. I see these teachers coming in who were not my teachers, but they were teaching at the same time I was in high school. They were teaching. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, now, when you first started teaching, the way you taught then worked. But now we know that that way probably doesn't work. Mm Mm-hmm. Because we have different kids. Because we have different kids, and we got to teach the kids. And so I th- really think it's interesting that if we look at divergent and insulation mm-hmm. as those coordinating things, mm-hmm. we can see that evident in a lot of things. Is that what remez is? Well, remez is when we trace these words in the culture and through the text. So in a fiction book, if you're talking about, you know, in Harry Potter and the sacred text, I know that they picked something that they picked like the snake in one of the quotes and then talked about the serpent and the snake and how that's used and what it's a symbol for all throughout as well as biblically what the servant serpent is a symbol of and in our society how we look at snakes and treat it and how many people are afraid of them and, and does that color your meaning of the quote now when you think about snake in all of that term so maybe as we go through our podcast we need to keep divergent insulation as part of our thought process mm-hmm. and speckle in pieces where we're going, hey, remember from podcast two when we talked about these two terms? Yeah. Look at here they are again. Maybe that's one of our practices that we could do. That would be nice. And then as we move forward, we move into drash. So the drash is the meaning or the concept. And the way that my podcast of divinity graduates uses this is that they say if your quote was your piece of scripture that you were going to preach a sermon on what would your sermon be about so if this quote is something that you're going to take and build um, a training around if this quote is something that you are going to take and build a lecture or a ted talk around what are you going to talk about? So let's read the quote one more time, and then we'll, we'll talk about it. And if I can just, I'm looking at your piece here, and I think it's interesting that there's a couple of rules. Mm-hmm. Because I can see where people would take something out of isolation, and mm-hmm. but they said you can't strip it of its original shot meaning. Right. And that it should be supported by other facts in the book. Right. right? And then the third one is um, we should limit ourselves to the primary components of understanding the text. So it's almost like, if I'm right, this quote that we've chosen, we could preach a sermon on it, mm-hmm. which I think we're proving right now, but we can't, we can't take it out of the context of the book, which sure. is interesting, and we can't make it mean something that would counteract whatever else they've written. Sure. Okay. Yes. So again, our quote is, we are far less frequently confronted by ideas or viewpoints that don't match our own making us less and less capable of having a reasonable discussion involving divergent viewpoints. 
in the end, whether or not we actively participate in our own insulation from ideas we disagree with, the internet has evolved to help this process along. And really, it's the second part that hits me that I would like to talk about. The, whether or not we actively participate in the insulation, the internet is doing this to us. Mm. We could put a sermon would, on that. <laughs> yes, and I would counsel people and discuss that we need to be careful about the views that we hear and where we get our information from and that it is not just about finding it on the internet. Even if you are vetting your sources, even if you are finding that this is true across generations uh, in your study and it's been peer reviewed and all of that, that's a really good start, first of all. Don't just take everything at face value. Right. But that the internet has evolved to help us only find the things that we agree with, even when they are true things. So I would say it's important for us to, A, disconnect a little from the internet and start connecting with people. And then also that it is important when talking to people, when looking at what really happens in your community, when looking at what actually happened 30 minutes ago in your life that was not on the internet, that we need to look at the things that maybe make us uncomfortable and that we start to disagree with and we need to stop and say, well, why am I disagreeing with that? Why is that making me uncomfortable? And kind of exercise that muscle in my brain that isn't insulated. I I need to practice the divergent. So, you know, as you were speaking, I was thinking for people who have a hard time disconnecting from their social media, right? Mm -hmm. I I believe that if the internet is creating this insulation, is it possible that, how do I say this? Okay. I think that some people spend so much time on Facebook that their insulation is thicker mm-hmm. than people who cross over between sites. So if I read articles on Facebook and only Facebook, I know that the articles are being tailored mm-hmm. to my posts, mm-hmm. right? So that means the bias is moving far to the right or far to the left, depending on whichever side I'm on, with everything that I read. Mm-hmm. But if I am choosing to read about an event and I read, I see on Facebook, and so then I get off of Facebook and I go to Fox News or I go to The Onion. Or even Twitter. Or Twitter. I'm going to see, I'm going to see less insulation because... Theirs are not tailoring my experience to my posts, right? Am I so far following well, this idea? Yes, except that the onion is satire. Well, right, <laughs> but I'm getting a different viewpoint, yeah. right? Well, yes. Okay, so I'm, yes. I'm getting divergent viewpoints. Okay, yes, I see your point there. Buzz report, BuzzFeed. Uh, yeah. So instead of the onion, we'll do one that One that's liberal and one that's conservative in leaning nature of pundits. Yes, exactly. <laughs> But I'm 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 there for contradicting the internet mm-hmm. and creating my own divergent perspectives, right? Mm-hmm. I think that 
I, I agree with you. I think that if I was to preach a sermon, I think that would be where the message would be right now, is that if I'm looking to find fact versus fiction, and I want to find the fact, mm-hmm. the truth versus the fake news, then I've got to look at multiple sources. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I'd said it the last podcast or not, but I remember when we went to war with Iraq, I remember listening to two different media sites and hearing two different numbers and realizing that I was listening to a, a liberal expose on it and mm-hmm. a conservative expose on it, and they were giving two different viewpoints. What's interesting in my thinking on that is that in the end, I think both sides wanted the same thing, which is peace mm-hmm. and end to the war. But I also believe that they were going about it in different man- ways, which has mm-hmm. also added to this idea of, of fake news. So I think that if we are looking for what is the message here, mm-hmm. I love your message, which was we need to get away from the things that are out there in social media, the virtuality of world. Mm-hmm. Ooh, did I just coin a new world? A new Maybe. World? And get connected back to people. Mm-hmm. Now, can isolation and, ha- and non-divergent thinking happen in groups of people? Mm-hmm. Yes. If I only hang out with the same voices and I only listen to the same people all the time, I'm only getting one perspective. Well, and that's like the fishbowl of high school. Right. You know, we hear that term a lot, that different cliques in high school are very insular and, you know, oh, what are you doing wearing something that doesn't fit in with your clique? That kind of thing right. happens in high schools. And then when many people, when they go off to college, realize that the world is much bigger and that they can have multiple perspectives and and it broadens horizons. Right. So that could be the sermon. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a lot of good messages there. I was listening to someone the other day speak about this current trend in politics, and um, and, and that's always a, a dicey area to talk about, but it's definitely a, an area that is tormented with this idea of fact versus fiction, this mm-hmm. the idea of real news versus fake news. But I thought it was interesting that um, if you put all that stuff aside, that in the end, I think, I believe that people really do want the same thing. We do want a healthy society. Do We do want an, a stable economy. We do, we, I think people would so much rather get along. I hear, I hear nine times out of ten, I hear people say that, well, I'm voting for the lesser of two evils. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's so sad that the representatives that we have in our, in our world are described as evil. Right. When in reality, they should be representing us. So does that mean we're evil or does that just mean that we're not holding people accountable because of the systematic issues that were in place? I just think this is such an interesting concept of Drash and and looking at this quote in particular that we can, I think, get a full message from this piece. Yes. Right. Yeah. So as we think about those sermons, our last section here is the Sode. And the interesting thing about the Sode is that's the secret. So we take everything that we have done here, the literal meaning, the terms that we trace throughout, the sermons we would preach, the TED Talks we would give. Uh, We sit with the quote one more time silently for just a minute to see if a secret emerges. So if this is a sacred text, Mm. you know, then what is the text saying to us and trying to teach us? We sit with it for just a moment. And the people who I listen to that do this regularly, 
they say that they don't always come up with the sode, the secret. They sit with it and something occurs to them, but maybe it's more just a suh rather than a sode. <laughs> it's not all the way there. And that's okay because the point is let's exercise our brains. Right. The point is to try. So we'll read the quote, we'll sit for a couple seconds and see our kind of our last thought of what occurred to you. So we are far less frequently confronted by ideas or viewpoints that don't match our own, making us less and less capable of having a reasonable discussion involving divergent viewpoints. In the end, whether or not we actively participate in our own insulation from ideas we disagree with, the internet has evolved to help this process along. What occurred to you? So it's interesting. We've had this rich conversation about all the pieces of it. And what came out to me, what stood out to me that time was the goal is to have a reasonable discussion. You did too. Oh my God, reasonable was the thing that hit me. Oh, oh, I love this. Okay, so, and I thought, and I thought reasonable discussion because how often have I had a conversation, you know, regarding Common Core or regarding educational mm-hmm. practices or regarding whatever it is, and and you walk away going, oh my gosh, that there was no reason in there at all, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that, if, is that the answer here? Is that in order to have a reasonable discussion, we have to open up our minds, open mm-hmm. up our ears, open up our worlds to different perspectives. You know, when I was a mentor uh, for five years, when I came into mentoring, I thought I've kind of arrived. <laughs> as in, I've ha- I've got ten years of teaching under my belt. I've, I'm experienced, or was it fifteen at that point? It was, it was a lot. It was close to 15. And I thought, well, I've I've got a lot of experience here. Mm -hmm. So I have a lot I can share with people. But I remember going through classrooms going, well, dang, I wish I had thought about doing that. Mm -hmm. Wow, that was really cool. And um, I think uh, one of my colleagues said it best. She goes, you know, I've taught this content piece for 15 years, and I could tell you how to teach it. And the way you taught it, I would have never taught it that way. And yet, your way worked. It worked Sometimes for your students, better. right? And so I think that may that oh, I'm still excited that we had the same. And I'm not sure it's a secret; it could be a soot. But the yeah. fact that it came up to both of us is exciting. If you could just saw our faces, wow, that was cool. But yeah, I think in order to have a reasonable discussion, these are the things that we've talked about all around. We've talked mm-hmm. all around this would lead us to reasonable discussions and I think reasonable discussions is what we need to be able to determine real news from fake news Mm -hmm. to come up with policies that that we think would work versus what will work yeah right and yes so the reasonableness you know I have friends online who have viewpoints that are not the same as everyone in their family and I sometimes go read the comments on posts, kind of that popcorn eating meme, <laughs> uh, to hear them argue. And they are people who love each other and are of the same family, and they are screaming into echo chambers back and forth at each other. And there's definitely not a reasonable discussion happening there. Mm, yeah. And nothing. And it's not like somebody could come in and drop a little piece of knowledge or a 
tailored idea this way or that way and, and help guide it to reasonableness, they are never going to get there if they keep talking about those subjects in that way. Mm-mm. And so this is the, let's, let's not be on the internet. Let's be face to face. Let's remember that we like each other. Let's remember that we're all people. Let's remember that we are all valid mm-hmm. and our experiences are all valid. And when we have a discussion, we have to listen and not just wait to talk. Oh, because absolutely. if we're not listening, we're never going to be reasonable. Well said. Well said. And as you were saying, I was thinking, you're right. That convers- No matter what you place in that comment chat, that conversation will never come to a, a positive result. Mm-mm. But imagine if those people shut up, got off their phones and sat in a room together, and then you dropped that. That human connection, I mm-hmm. think, would, have, would make a difference. And maybe that is the nugget, too, that we remember that um, there's a lot of conversations that happen in text feeds or that happen on social media sites that really just need to happen face-to-face. I think we destroy a lot of relationships by stupidity and things like that. I am so excited. I really like Pardes. Um, I do too. This was fun. It was. And um, for those of you who are not aware, this was really authentic. I mean, when Nicole and I sit down, we sit down and we, we kind of craft a structure and we look at the text and we choose kind of what we're, the text we're going to talk about. But everything else is raw. Everything else comes. So that whole soot, yeah. that meditation <laughs> That really piece, did happen. <laughs> that was so cool. So as you are reading the text, if you go through your own sacred practice using Pardes, let us know how it goes. Yeah. If you come up with a different, um, maybe you choose a different quote and you go through the process. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you come up with a different secret at the end. Mm-hmm. That'd be kind of cool. If you look at ours, we'd love to know in that silence that we left, was there a sode that came to you? We'd love to know if you would preach a different sermon or a different TED Talk mm. on this quote or give us your quote. We'd love to hear from you. And you can do that by emailing us at mm-hmm. ctechedpodcasts at gmail.com. You can also respond to us in Twitter mm-hmm. at the handle ctechedpodcasts. Yes. And then you can also leave comments on Podbeam. Yes, Podbeam.com. And you can also, in the voicemail, it doesn't have to, or in the email, it does not have to be something that you type out. You can leave us voice messages. You can absolutely open the voice recording app on your phone or on a laptop, speak to us, and then attach that to an email, and we could play it in a future episode. How awesome is that? Okay, so next next time will be chapter two. See you then.